let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for your presence, your goodness. Jesus, take your place, your rightful place, at the center of it all. Just as we were worshiping, just as we were uh, declaring earlier that you are the center of our lives, you're the center of the church. Lord Jesus, you are the center of it all. And we thank you and we love you. Amen. So if you have your device on and open, I'm going to do something I rarely do. All right. How many of you have heard of the book of Leviticus? How many of you are like, that's your jam? You love the book of Leviticus. You're like, I dig it. I love it. It's awesome. Okay, if you don't have that attitude, it's just because you don't understand it just quite well enough yet. So we're going to help with that a little bit today. If I were to ask you, what's like one of the markers of the book of Leviticus? Any ideas on what it is, uh, what it's about or what it's marked by? Laws, priesthood, anybody else? Worship, coming from the worship leader, Harold DeForbis. You ask him what Joel's about, he's going to be like, worship, I don't know. What's Genesis about? Worship. Everything's about worship, 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 whatever, Harold, okay. You're actually really right, of course, of course, as always. It is about worship. All right, anything else? Heart. So when I think of the book of Leviticus, one of the things I think about is details. Details. And it's like, I always made God in my image where I'm like, I'm not really that worried about the details. And then I met Leviticus. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, you actually care about the details of life. And that really bothered me for a little bit because I was kind of worried about it. But then I met my wife who she cares about details. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is just a reflection of your nature. This is good. It's, God actually cares about the details. So everybody who cares about the details, just kind of wave your hands. Like when you church outside, you're like, how are we going to do church outside? What exactly does that mean? Are we going to stay warm? What's that going to be like? So you cared about the details. Me, I'm like, Psh, we'll be fine. Give me an acoustic. I can't play, so give me an acoustic guitar player. We'll be fine. It'll be great. So God cares about the details. He does. And in Leviticus, it's written to a group of people who have come out of Egypt. How many of you are part of the family of God? Meaning, all right, great, great. A bunch of you know what that means. Just in case you got some people who don't, aren't 100% sure what that means. If you don't know what it means to be a family of God, it means you are part of God's family, meaning he has adopted you because of your faith in Jesus Christ, and now you are a son or daughter of God, and you're adopted into his family. So with that said, how many of you are part of the family of God? Raise your hand. All right, now look to your person next to you. If you're traveling with them, you can do these high-five things. That's fine. If not, don't worry about it. Just say, look at them and say, I'm part of the family of God. All right, about a third of you like looked at me and said, I'm part of the family of God. No, find somebody else to look at and say, I'm part of the family of God. All right, and if they said that back to you, say, point at them and say, you're part of the family of God. All right, and then look at them and say, God cares about details. And so look at them and just say, Leviticus is for you. Leviticus is written to the family of God. We're the family of God here now, today, right now. We're the family of God. This is awesome. We're the family of God. Leviticus is written to the family of God, but it's written to the family of God as they were coming out of a place called Egypt where they were slaves for hundreds of years 
in Egypt. And God sends this guy Moses and brings them out of that. But he doesn't bring them immediately into a new land with houses and all this great stuff. No, what he does first is he takes them into a place called the wilderness. So the wilderness is a desolate place. It's hot. It's flat in a lot of places. You know, it's kind of like Fresno. It's hot. It's flat. It gets a little chilly in the winter. It's all right, but it's not awful. But they roam a desert for around 40 years. And in that time, at no point did anybody build a foundation and make a house. In four decades, nobody builds a house. No, because God at that point instructs them with meticulous detail to build him a tent. And then God leads the people of God around the wilderness by them watching for a cloud by day and a fire by night. And when God moves, they moved. And when the tent, which was the, called the tabernacle where God lived at that time, where he met the people of God, where people would sacrifice and bring worship to God, that's at that tabernacle. Whenever that would happen, whenever that tabernacle would move, everybody else moved. You knew what street you lived on relative to the tabernacle because everybody's all around the tabernacle. The entire nation at that time is paved out in their own tents around the tabernacle. We just got done singing a song a moment ago. If you remember, it said Jesus at the center of it all. It said Jesus at the center of his church. That song talks about what that's like. What that means is everything I do is a reference point on the presence of God. I take my cue from the presence of God. I find God, I'm like, okay, I need to go pick up, uh, you know, at that time they didn't go to the store and pick up bacon, but anyway, you need to go pick up some manna. You know, you need to go pick up something. You're looking down the street, okay, you go down to the tabernacle, you take a left. It's the center of everything. It's a reference point for everything. In the life of a believer, in the life of the family of God, that's the same way. We now live with the presence of God as our chief reference point. Your bank account is not your reference point. Jesus is. Your address, your physical address, that's not your reference point. Jesus is. Your success and your failures, your past and your future, those are not your reference points that you choose to do things by. You choose to do things because you belong to Jesus. His opinion matters most. How does he feel about that? Well, I don't know. Well, then read the word of God, draw near to God, and maybe we'll find out together. It's not actually that hard, but it matters a lot because Jesus is at the center of it all. So down here, we have a bunch of kids right here. Now, Kristen made provision for a bunch of kids to show up. She made a tent. She made a tabernacle. Well, maybe not a tabernacle. Not exactly. How about just a tent? All right. So she made a tent. She made provision for these kids to come and have a good time. She's got pillows and blankets and all that stuff. She's having a great time. They're having a great time over there. It's a great picture of what goes on in the life of the family of God. We build our lives around the presence of God, focused on that. That's why we do things like 24-hour prayer. That's why we have a prayer culture, hopefully in your home, and when we have a building, it's there too. I'm going to look for just a moment at some dates that matter, some memorials that matter. How many of you know if your family spent 40 years on the backside of a desert living in a tent, 
That's a story you tell the next generation. Well, in my day, everybody over 40 just looked down and find somebody younger and say, well, in my day, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. We got too many young people here. I, I got you. I'd have to go down to 30. Too many young people. We need some old, we need some old folks. We need some over 40s to say, well, in my day, we did this and it was super hard. If, can you imagine talking to grandpa and grandpa's like, yeah, I lived in a tent for 40 years. You're complaining about walking to school. Shut up. Whatever. You've got walls. At least you have walls. At least you've got a door. I had a tent flap. That's all I had for 40 years. But you want to remember that. The thing is, God wants you to remember that. I remember some things that matter a lot to me. I remember 0814. That's the first time I went on a date with Sarah. You know, I asked. She said yes. I'm thrilled. It's like, that, that's, a, that's a big day. For those of you who don't know me, that's my wife, by the way, not, not somebody else. Um, so I went on a date with Sarah on August 14th. It was the first time. It was my PIN number for a long time on my debit card, so it's not anymore. But on the 31st of March, that's when she said yes to marrying me. So I will always remember the 31st of March, 0331, right? It's not my new PIN number. Thank you. No. Then there's 729, right, which is not my anniversary, but it's what I always think is my anniversary because it's actually 829 is my anniversary, right? So these things matter to me. Those dates, those moments matter to me. Moments that you have in God matter to you too, and they matter to God. And so what God does is he does these things where he's like, I want you to remember who I am and how I met you and how you as a people were in captivity. Anybody here before you met Jesus, you were in captivity? It's like, no, I had sin. I, I had sin ruling my life. And what I wanted to do is what ruled my life. And I just was trying to do whatever I wanted to do because I didn't know any better. But then I met Jesus and all of a sudden my life changed. And at that point, I'm very similar to the people of God back who left Egypt. Where I'm delivered out of something but I'm not quite figured out how to live in this thing that's life in God yet. I haven't quite figured it out just yet. And that's okay. Sometimes it takes a while to figure it out. Sometimes you exit out of something and it takes a while to figure out what you're walking in. This was a problem for you and me sometimes, but it's also a problem for the people of God. Everybody say this with me. Say the word identity. We derive our identity from our relationship with Christ. The people of God who were slaves for years in Egypt, exited out of Egypt, now had to have a new identity. So for 40 years, what's really going on? What's really happening is they're learning what it means to have Jesus at the center of it all. It takes a little time to figure that out, to get to know what it's like to have God at the center of your life. But what's important is even if you've come through that and now he is, it's important that you remember that it took some time to learn that. It's important that you remember and that you tell the next generation, hey, sweetheart, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. I did too. I was just as jacked up as you are. I was just as lost as you are. And Jesus had to reach just as far to find me. And the good news is he did. And when he did, when he did, he had to retrain my life, the whole thing. Everything had to change. And I had to go find him again and again. And I stumbled and I fell. But then I got back up again. I get knocked down. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Uh, 
How many of you know we really ought to look at the actual Bible here, especially after I just did that? So Jesus is at the center of their mobile city in the wilderness at that time. He's at the center of our lives. Their lives were centered around the presence of God. And I just want to remind you, you're on a journey, but it's like nothing you've ever done before. How many of you have ever been through COVID before? You're like, oh, yeah, I know what this is like. No, none of you have. None of us know what this is like. None of you know what it's like to lose a job because of a pandemic. None of you have known what it's like to lose a loved one because of this. You're in a new place in something you've never seen before. The good news is God's here to meet you as you center your life around him. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 23. Everybody say details. God cares about details, right? He does. So what God does in a few chapters before this is he says, hey, I want you all to remember what it was like to be in the wilderness on your own, living in tents, because I met you every day. Did you know that God provided for them? It wasn't opulent. It wasn't steak dinners. But it was provision. It's what they needed to survive. How many of you right now, you're going, you know what? I'm going to survive. I may not like it, but I'm going to survive. God's going to provide. Amen? Come on. He's going to provide because he's God. He's going to help you. So what I'm going to do is we're going to read this. And what happens is in, in uh, I think it's verse 33, God says, hey, I want you all to remember and have a feast. And we're going to read several verses of Leviticus chapter 23. Go ahead and go to verse 39. God likes details. God cares about the minutia of your life. And if you ask him, he'll tell you what to do with it. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. What does that mean? God's calling for a party. I mean, I'm pretty sure in the Hebrew that's what that means. God wants a party. And he's like, I don't want just a little party. I want a big party. I want a seven-day party. And then he gets detailed. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm going to tell you how to party. I'm going to tell you why you're partying. I'm going to tell you why you're celebrating. I'm going to ask you to consecrate yourself, set yourself apart for me to party. That's just weird. But God's here to help you. God's here because he loves you and he cares about the details of your life. He says, on the first day, it shall be a solemn rest. And on the eighth day, it shall be a solemn rest. God even gives you the details of, hey, I want you to take a break and rest so that you can party really well for several days, and then I want you to take you a rest afterwards. He actually gives instructions that I don't want you to work during this season. And then he gets even more specific. He says, and you shall take the first day, the first day, the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It's a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. Jesus is calling his people to go camping. Okay, just so we know what booths are. Booths are just tents you live in. So he's like, I want you to rest up, and then I want you to move out your house, onto your lawn, and into a tent. 
I mean, that is the strangest prophetic word I've ever heard. And it's not even wanted for a moment. He's like, and I want you to do it always because I don't want you to ever forget that I led the generations before you. I led them out of Egypt and led them around the desert where my presence was the center of their lives. I don't want you to forget. Now, here's the thing. Your family may be jacked up. I mean, I grew up camping. I did. I don't mean to say that that's jacked up, but it didn't translate into my daily life. You know, I'm not out there intense. The last time I went camping, I took my boys. Sarah was out of town. I'm bored. I'm like, okay, boys, we're going camping. We go nine miles down the road to a lake. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. We made it six hours. We did. We set up the tent. We went to, did the fishing thing. And then I'm sitting on the ground, hanging out in the hot, sweltery heat of Missouri at that time. And I'm just looking over at my sons. They're younger back then. And, and even then, they're like, Dad, we don't do this. We like do hotels, Dad. So some things in your family, they just don't translate, you know, unless you make it a big deal, unless it's a tradition that you keep alive. What God is saying here is, I want you to remember that I am at the center of your life. And not just the center of your life, I'm the center of your family. Because sometimes we can get into a mode where we just show up at church we just show up as the family of God because eh, it's kind of what we do. No, no, no. God's like, I want you to hit the pause button on everything in your life. Move out your bed. Go into a tent and remember that your identity was founded in me for 40 years as a family. You walked with me at the center of it all. Later on, they would actually build the city of Jerusalem. And you know what was at the center of the city of Jerusalem? the temple. And then, many, 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 many years later, Jesus came. And he took your sin and my sin. And he said, I will take the punishment for that. I will take the punishment. Even though you were born a sinner and you chose to sin, I'm going to take the punishment that you are rightly owed. I'm going to take that. And you are going to have eternal life. And he is going to be at the center of our lives. And we need to remind ourselves. And so this week, we have in our culture, whether it's Thanksgiving, whatever it is, our culture has little pause points that we put in. And you can choose right now whether or not that's something that you center around football, around people, around bumper stickers, you could choose what you center your life around. And the invitation from heaven right now is, no, center it around Jesus. Center it around him. Consecrate yourself to him. Can I tell you something? Rest might be a good idea. Apparently, God wanted you to rest up at one point before you remember what he did. Rest up. Take a break if you can. But find your rest in him. And in the midst of that, remember and put him at the center of your life again. All right Now, I'm going to tell you a quick story out of the New Testament. Now, this is out of um, John chapter 7, verse 37. Anybody know where Jesus was born? Bethlehem. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? right. We know... Jesus was Jewish, right? So Jesus is hanging out in a culture 
who understood that God should be the center of everything. Not saying they did it perfectly at all, but at least the culture that he was a part of at that time was still centered around the idea of God's at the center of, of all of this. And so they would have these feasts and festivals. And so what Jesus did is Jesus showed up at one of these in uh, John chapter 7, in verse 37. What's going on is Jesus has been hanging around the Feast of Booths. He's been hanging around the campground, basically, of what's been going on. As people are supposed to be remembering, having a celebration and remembering that God is at the center of it all. That God met them in the wilderness. And so, how many of you remember on the first day of the feast, what were you supposed to do? Anybody remember that from the reading? Rest. Anybody remember what on the eighth day you're supposed to do? Rest. So, this is where Jesus chooses to step in. He chooses. It's actually earlier in the passage, talks about how he didn't address really anybody at the beginning of the feast. He's more focused on the end of the feast. So picture this. Everybody's been moved out of their house, and they've been partying and resting and not working for an entire week. Does that sound hard to you? That doesn't sound hard to me. I'll take it. I would love to figure that out, especially because when Christians and the people of God party, there's no hangover. It's awesome. It's like a wonderful party. Christians know how to party like nobody else because there's no regret with it. And God wants you to party his way. Read Leviticus and you'll figure out how. <laughs> but anyway, so in John 7:37, now on the last day, everybody say last day. Which day is that? The last day. It's the eighth day. It's the, on the last day, the great day of the feast. So this is the climax of the whole thing. Jesus stood and cried out. Everybody's well-rested, well-partied, well-whatever. Cried out and said, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Another translation says it this way. On the final and climactic day of the feast, Jesus took his stand. He cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me this way, just as the scriptures say. Jesus is talking to people who are full, who have drank well and rested well, and he's coming to them and reminding them, uh, it's not about the food. It's not about the drink. It's about me. Come to me. Come to me. So in your desperate moment in the wilderness, you center your life around Jesus. When you celebrate and everything's going great and you're well-rested, you center your life around Jesus. He's at the center of it all. And he always will be and he always truly has been. Your relationship with Jesus is the thing that defines everything. First and foremost, it defines your life. Either you are dead in your trespasses and sin, separate from God, with no hope in this world, or in the world to come. Those are those that don't know Jesus. Or you know him. Your eternity is secure in him. And your tomorrow on this life is also secure in him. And your today is affected as you are transformed by his work in your life. Drew, I'd like you to come up at Shayla and Audrey. And we're going to sing. We're going to worship 
But we're not going to sing this idea of Jesus at the center. There's this other song we sang earlier. It said, spring up, oh well, living water, rise within me. Because here's the thing. You have life on the inside of you as you center your life and remember what it's like to center your life on Jesus, you have in your life a well of living water right on the inside of you. How many of you know if I was holding a cup of coffee right now and somebody bumped me, if it's full, it spills out, right? If I'm holding something right now and somebody comes up and bumps me and it's full, it spills out. We ask the Lord in moments like this, Lord, fill us up. It's not for us. The idea of being filled up with living water is so that others who aren't alive can drink, can have living water. So yes, consecrate yourself to God. Meaning, Lord, I dedicate my life to you. I give my heart to you. I give everything I have to you. Yes, rest in God. Yes, learn and take on this identity of new life in Christ that's different than it's ever been before. And you're going to have to learn. Reflect on what it was when God met you when you were at your lowest. Reflect on what that was like and how good he was and how good he is. But then be filled. Come to Jesus who's at the center of it all. Be filled so that that life you have spills out onto other people. Let's stand together.